0: Just quick little exciting announcement. Uh, if you guys are on Facebook or haven't noticed or whatever, me and Maria are welcoming another baby in pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, so just just pray for her. She's a little sick today. It's going to be this cool combination of chaos and beauty all in one. Pray for my hairline, my receiving hairline and all this. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. But, um... So, today we're starting off a new sermon series. We're going to be heading through, bless you sir, we're going to be heading through uh, the books of 1st and 2nd Peter, and we're going to be going through them line by line. We're going to be digging into them thoroughly, and we're going to be um, just going through them being led by God, being taught and and guided by the Holy Spirit, so that we can rest in God's Word, and we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ through the teachings of these two books. Um, but before we like, just jump right into the text of First and Second Peter today, um, with it being like the first message, I want to make sure there's some things that we can grasp on before we dive into there. So some of the things we want to look at before we start into the text itself is like the who, the when, the where. Like, context is so important when you're studying scripture, understanding these things and knowing the situation, knowing the story, knowing the author, knowing the recipients, um, It is as vitally important as just knowing the text itself. So um, we're going to be going through a few of those things today, like the who, the when, the where. And then the amazing thing about God's living, breathing word is the what and the why. The text is going to provide those itself. Like we don't even got to go there. He'll handle that for us. Um, So join me real quick as we we say an opening prayer. Um, Father God, we are uh, grateful to be gathered together this this morning gathered together as your people, gathered together as a family. We're all here from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different experiences, but we're all drawn in by your Son. We're all drawn here for one reason, and one reason only, is to be in that relationship with you, with Christ, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to to let that... um, Saturate into our lives, and so that it flows out into our neighborhoods, our communities, our families. We're so lovingly grateful for your love and your grace. It's In your beautiful name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, if you guys want to take a minute and get ready, we'll jump into the text in a minute. But we will be jumping into First and Second Peter. But um, so let's start off a little bit. The where. Um, this letter was, from what I found in the studies I could do, many believe that Peter's reference to Babylon in chapter 5 probably places him in Rome at the time of writing it. and So that's kind of where the, they believe that it was written from, was in Rome or in Babylon that he mentions in chapter 5. It's kind of a, 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 a cryptic mention, but um, they do a lot of scholars I study believe that that's where it was written from. Now, where was it written or sent, in, sent to? And so this letter was addressed and sent out to early Christians, early believers that were scattered throughout, um, the, at the time the place was known as Asia Minor. So they were um, suffering some persecution and there was early persecutions going on. So these guys were scattered out through this area at this time of what is Asia Minor or now is known as modern day Turkey. Um, like I said, the suf- suffering was a common part. So the, the recipients of P- Peter's letter, they know this firsthand that this suffering's going on. And that um, in that time, Asia Minor itself was like a really difficult place to live. It was a really difficult place to be because you were either being persecuted by your pagan neighbors or it was the early beginning of persecution by the governing authorities at the time. And so they were just really in a rough spot to where they were scattered. They were scattered out from where their normal... Um, places they lived, their normal villages, and this. And they're just kind of going out and scattering to kind of find a safe place. Um, Next, we'll go into the wind. Um, Peter's letter was written somewhere between 62 and 64 AD. Peter, he most likely wrote this letter during some of the sporadic persecutions that were happening before, like these severe official persecutions came in during the reign of King Nero and some of the other kings that would reign after that time. So um, if you guys are out there, we got it up on the screen. We're going to um, just be diving into all two verses of the first part today. So if you guys keep up, uh, that'd be nice. Thank you. Um, Let's just go ahead and and read through it really quick. Peter, an apostle of Christ, to those who were elect exiled of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Can you go back now to the first part of the verse, Stephen? So now, if we look at the who. So, it's kind of obvious for us that, you know, yeah, it's first and 2 Peter. Um, but we, we really want to touch on that. We see right in the verse, very first verse, um, Peter, an apostle of Christ. He introduces himself. He introduces himself to the readers and the people that will be receiving the letters. So... Um, If some of you guys were here a few weeks ago, some of the stuff I'm going to cover right now and go over might sound a little familiar. I did preach on um, the restoration of Peter a few weeks ago, but I think it's important for us to um, really place ourselves in this letter, understand what's going on, who he's writing to, that we get to know the author a little bit. We want to know Peter. So, um, Peter, his name means rock. So when... um, Jesus took him and named him. He gave him the name Peter, which means rock. His birth name was Simon, meaning one who hears, which is kind of ironic with Peter because I don't think he always hears what's being said to him. But his, his birth name was Simon, one who hears. Um, the real Peter, the Peter that um, was out there in the world and before uh, making this big change, Peter was a fisherman. Um, he owned some fishing boats along with his brother and some of the... Um, other people, they had a fishing business. That's how he, he provided for himself, how he provided for his family. He was a fisherman. Excuse me. Um, he was born at Bethsaida. And he later moved from Bethsaida to Capernaum. He had a brother, Andrew. His brother, Andrew, who was the first one to actually like went and said, Peter, come or Simon, come with me. We found the one who's called the Christ. You got to come and see him. We found the Messiah. And so he has a brother, Andrew. His father was named John. Or Jonas, And so Peter's Hebrew name was Simon Bar-Jonah, which meant Simon, son of Jonah. And as we look at a lot of the text and a lot of things that we can see, although there is never, like Jesus never appointed one clear-cut leader, Peter was a leader of sorts among the twelve apostles. And he was a leader in the manner of, he spent a lot of the time with Jesus. He spent a lot of time with him. In the New Testament, there's four lists that list all the 12 apostles. And in these four lists, you'll see variations in the name. You'll see some mix-ups in the order that they're listed. But one change you'll never see in any of the four lists is Peter. His name is kind of always at the top. So while he wasn't appointed like Lord over these other apostles, he was a leader among them. Um, Some of the things about his personality, like Peter was impulsive. Um, He was impetuous. He was strong-willed. He was like, you know, let's go. Let's get this. And um, he actually, at one time, when uh, Jesus was telling them of what was going to happen, he's like, no, man, they're not going to kill you. Nope, nope, not going to happen. And then another time it shows his kind of impulsiveness and the way he acts. They walk up, and they go to take Jesus off and haul him off and rest him. He whips out his sword, cuts off a dude's ear, and even Jesus is like, bruh. Bruh, back up a little bit, man. He was also prideful. Um, he struggled with legalism. He struggled with some hypocrisy. These are some of the things that we see from the Simon side of him. But one of the great things I think that we can look at when we're getting to know the author of First and Second Peter, when we're getting to know Peter himself, is he was very human. I think that's one thing that all of us can relate to. All of us being flawed people. All of us having our quirks. All of us having our different personality things. He was human. We could relate to him. Um, Peter ended up dying from what I found around 67 or 68 AD in Rome. So, um, looks like it was just... uh, A few years after he actually um, penned this letter and sent it out. Um, And they came and they told him that he was going to be crucified. He was going to be nailed to a cross. And Peter, in this time, after his conversion, after being changed, he was like, No, wait, hold up. I'm not even worthy to die in that manner as my Lord did. And so they flipped his cross upside down and he was crucified upside down. And one of the things I found is his wife was actually crucified in the same manner. Um, there was a time earlier on in uh, the scriptures where he was arrested by Herod. King Herod was going to kill him. He was going to kill him with a sword. But during his conversion, during his like, restoration, when Jesus came to him in the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus told him... Um, you know what, when you're old, someone's going to lead you off by the hand, and they're going to lead you off to a place that you don't want to go. And he was foretelling him of his death at that time. So earlier on, when he was still young, and he was still uh, this self-willed Peter, and he was arrested and thrown into the cell, and they're like, tomorrow morning, you're going to be killed by the sword. But based on this conversation with Jesus... He knew that this wasn't going to be true. He knew he was going to be let off by the hand and let off when he was old. So like most of us would be freaking out. Peter slept like a baby the night before he was supposed to get chopped up with a sword the next day. He slept peacefully in his cell. So now we kind of look at who, who Peter became. So we see that Peter was he was a fisherman. He was just a regular dude. He had a job. He was a fisherman. And then he was um, led by his brother, introduced to Jesus, and he became a disciple at that point. He became a student. And then from there, he became, a, he be, became an apostle. Um, so we see three things right there with him, kind of. We see first there was a name change, and then there was a status change, and then there was a heart change. Like, when we look at the name change, um, we know from Scripture, we know from reading... Um, Diving into God's Word, a the, the change of name was kind of a common theme, a common thing that happened in the Bible. Um, in Genesis, Abram was changed to Abraham. In uh, Mark, James, and John were switched and called the sons of thunder. They're like, they don't want to let us come through there. Jesus, just nuke them all with lightning bolts. And so they got a name change right there to the sons of thunder. Um, Levi was changed to Matthew. It it often happened in the Bible where they take their old self for their new self, or or a name change happened. One of the things that we see about Peter, and we see through his experiences, Ma'am, could you keep that baby quiet back there, please? Man, Who is that kid? One of the things we see with Peter is, even after his name change, even after becoming a follower of Christ, even after all of this, there was times when he was referred to as Simon still. There was times when he was referred to uh, his historical identity name. Because there was times when he started to act like his own self again. And so we had these two names. We had Simon, we had Peter, and they kind of represented the two sides of him, you know. And so when he would be uh, called, acting out, acting his way, Jesus would refer to him as Simon. Or there's times, and we see it a lot through the Gospel of John, um, I think John was just confused about who kind of Peter was. He's like, where are you at? He just, through his whole gospel, he refers to him as Simon Peter. Both names, both attitudes, both things. So then, like I mentioned, there was a status change. He went from a fisherman to a disciple to an apostle. And now this apostle part, what that simply means is like, um, it's someone sent out. Someone sent out to represent a king or a kingdom. So now he's, he's not just a student, but he's, he's been commissioned and sent out to go and share the gospel and um, work and further the kingdom. And then the last part we mentioned on that was a heart change. Peter underwent a heart change. After Peter denied Jesus three times, um, then after the resurrection, he went back and he was fishing on the sea and and Jesus came up to him and he commissioned him. And he asked him a question three times. He's like, Peter, do you love me? And I think he really pounded it home. He's like, yeah. And he asked him again, do you love me? He's like, yeah. And he asked him again, do you love me? And in in that moment, he humbled himself. He's like, Lord, you know all things. You know I adore you. You know I love you. And so in that moment, there was that heart change that went around. He restored Peter, and he didn't just restore his heart, but he entrusted his flock to Peter. He entrusted him, now that this deep heart change had happened, to go out and to spread the gospel and to to get the message out. And so directly after this heart change, he goes to Pentecost and um, the maybe... uh, Different Peter that wouldn't have probably just leaped up in front of all of these people. At Pentecost, he stood up and he preached the verse sermon proclaiming Christ. And in that moment, 3,000 souls were saved. Tongues of fire came down from heaven. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the people. Um, After this, he went and he preached to Cornelius, who was one of the first Gentile converts. And he, he preached to him. And then... From there on, he, he oversaw the growth of the church through Antioch and through the early parts of Acts. So, if you, if you Acts is kind of split into two portions. There's the first part where Peter oversees the growth of the church. And then Paul, Saul converted to Paul, he comes in in the second half. And he oversees the growth of the church from that point on. So... Um, Now, we kind of got an idea. We know who Peter is. We know a little bit about him. We know that the audience were these people that were early believers. They were being persecuted. They were being scattered out. Now, we can dive into this a little bit deeper. We can dive into this and go a little more. Um, I kind of want to go on the theme that uh, Pastor Tony spoke about last week, about the foundation. Our foundation is Christ. We build our life on the solid rock, on the solid foundation of Christ. So, one of the questions uh, I got is, the very first time that Jesus uses the word church in the New Testament, do you guys remember who he's speaking to? He's speaking to Peter. It was in a conversation with Peter at Caesarea Philippi, and he said, Who do you Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter answered him, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Jeremiah, some say Elijah or a prophet. And the second question, Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You're Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. I say, you, Peter, I say, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we kind of got to stop right there for a second. We got to stop right there for a second. And in hearing that sentence, in hearing what's going on, some people have actually took that as, okay, Peter's the rock which Jesus is going to build his church upon. I gotta say, if he's building his church upon the rock of Peter, we're all in trouble. We're we're all in some hot water. But what he was saying is, he's not saying, you know, your name is Peter. Peter means rock. I'm gonna build my church on the rock. I'm gonna build it on Peter. What he's saying is, I'm gonna build my church upon the statement that you just said. I'm gonna build my church on the fact that you just said, I am the Son of God, and that's good so Peter's not gonna be the great foundation. As, as Tony pointed out, and as we know from Scripture, Jesus is that great foundation. Jesus is that solid rock. Jesus is what the church is being built upon. As a matter of fact, uh, can you pull up 1 Corinthians, Stephen, that one? If we look at this right here, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than what that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is Paul saying this in 1 Corinthians. He's saying, the foundation is laid, and no one can lay another foundation. The one is laid... On Jesus Christ and the, one of the things that we know in life and we know about um, you know having a solid foundation is the storms are going to come they're going to come and in these storms it's going to do us a, a great service of having our lives built on this solid foundation um, as some of you guys know, I have a construction background. I do construction work. That's, that's one, one of the things that I've done for a long time since I first got into it as a teenager. Um, building houses and I, I've went through all different phases so I can kind of understand a little about everything from concrete work to framing houses to finish work. And I can tell you one thing, like excuse me, having that solid foundation is so important for the home that you're building. It is so important, but I will tell you this, that without an anchor, that foundation is just a slab of concrete. It's just as important as that foundation are the little bolts, the little anchor bolts that come up out of the concrete, and they're hardened around the concrete, and they're part of the concrete. And then so when they go through later and the the framers come in to build the home, they take their bottom plate when they're getting ready to frame and build these houses and they drill the holes and they slide the bottom piece of the house over these bolts and they put on a big washer and a big old nut and they securely anchor that house to the foundation. So we know that Christ is our solid foundation. We know that we're the house, our lives are the house. What are the anchors? What are the anchors that we use to to solidly attach ourselves to the foundation? Biblical truths. Biblical truths are the anchors that we will use to attach ourselves to that foundation. To make sure that we become one with the foundation. So that we're not swept away or pushed away. So we're going to read the verse again. And then what I want to do is after this point, we're going to kind of look... Through this verse 1 and 2, we're going to break down three biblical truths that we'll see pointed out in these first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience. To Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, truth number one. The first truth I want us to see, and that we can see in this text, and that we can see that it's important enough that Peter wants to mention it to these people that are scattered and they're, they're all over. He wants to let them know, we've been chosen by God previously. One of the biblical truths that we can see in this and that we can use as an anchor in our lives is that we are chosen by God previously. So it says the pilgrims of the dispersion. So these guys are scattered and they're, they're out uh, and scattered trying to avoid this prosecution. So he's writing to this group of believers. They're scattered all over the place. And um, he wants them to know right off the bat... Because there's a lot of meat and a lot of things to go on in this letter, but he wants them to find comfort right off the bat. He wants them to find comfort in this truth to know that, hey, you guys have been handpicked by God. You have been handpicked. You have been chosen by God. And we see that, we see that from that term right there, elect. To those who elect exiles of the dispersion. It means they are chosen. They are chosen by God. He writes this right away. He's like, "Look, it's important to, for you guys to understand that you guys are, have been elected by God." And this truth, it was like super monumental in Peter in his own life and um I'll kind of explain like how I think it came about is like, you know, Peter was down by the sea and all of a sudden his brother runs <coughs> up and he's like, "Look, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ." And he and he scoops him up and they run back up and in that moment, like Peter makes this choice to follow Christ. But then Jesus comes along later and he's saying, no, wait, hold on a minute, man. You didn't choose me. I've chose you. I've appointed you. So, like, we're we're asked and we're told, like, yeah, um, all you got to do is make the choice to follow God. But God makes that choice. It's kind of like someone's stranded out in the water. They're out in the water drowning, you know, and someone throws them a life raft. Yeah, you choose to grab that life raft and to hold on to it, but it's that person that made that choice initially to throw that raft out to you, to throw that lifeline out to you for you to grab on. And that's God electing us. That's God choosing us. And so I think Peter was in his head going, man, I remember distinctly that day me choosing to follow you, and now, now you're saying that you chose me, it was, it was shattering to him. It probably rocked his world. He was, uh, uh, it, But it changed his thinking. It changed his think, thinking so much that in the beginning of this, he's like, look, I want these other people to know. I want you to know right now that you've been elected. You've been chosen by God. And you can use this, you can have this as an anchor in your life to secure yourself to this solid foundation. You've been elected. Um, one of the other kind of uh, metaphors that we could use with it, it's like seeing a restaurant for the first time and you're driving by and you're, you, t- you tell Debbie, hey, we should go there and eat sometime, you know? And you, you flip around, and you know, no, we should eat there right now. It's a brand new place. You guys spin around, you go back, and you walk in, and they're like, Mr. and Mrs. Kobe, we've been expecting you. And you're like blown away, like what? I just saw this for the first time. I kind of had a situation like that, but it, it wasn't as... as Glamorous or um, as cool, really. When I was still struggling and lost and caught up in my drug addiction, um, one of the ways that I often like supported my drug addiction—that um, uh, was like a really rough and really ugly time in my life—is like I would go and I would steal from stores. And so one time I walked into the store and there was the security guards. Mr. Polito, we've been waiting for you. So I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. but. They knew what was coming. God God chose them, and Peter wants these people to understand that, and he wants them to know that. We can see 13 times in the Old Testament where Israel is called the chosen or the elect people of God. In the New Testament, Christians are called God's elect. In Romans and in Colossians, we're called the elect of God. Let's look at Romans 8.29 real quick. This. it says, for those those whom He foreknew and also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's kind of saying right there, whom He foreknew and also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. So we're seeing right there. And then we see that like we weren't just picked like... We weren't just picked at some point once we got our our lives together and got things in order a little bit, but if we look at Ephesians 1, 4, we said, even even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Oh yeah, that's it. Um, It always throws me off because it starts the next sentence, but before the next verse. But it's showing us right there, like, we weren't just chose at some point, we were chose before the foundation of the world. Um, Charles Spurgeon, a a theologian, he said it like this, he's all, it's a good thing God picked me before I was born, because he would have never picked me after. But what a comfort, like, if you think about being scattered out into Asia Minor, scattered into this persecution, wondering, like, Man, did I make a mistake? What am I doing out here? You know, I'm I'm dodging all this persecution. To get that anchor and be told, you know what? No, you've been chosen. You've been chosen before the foundation of the earth. I'm sure that anchored them, securely helped anchor them in their faith. So, truth number two that we can see from this. um, Here's the second truth. The second truth is, we are known completely. So, if we look at the verse, if you pull up the first um, and second Peter, we'll see, we'll see that there. I'll start down there at elect. And look, I love this. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God. This word he uses here, the word he uses, foreknowledge, shows that God knows. God sees. God knows everything in advance. Um, that's a lot of knowledge. If you think way back to the beginning of the... Before the foundation of the earth, and all of us, and all of the crap we've done, and all of the other people in this world, and He foreknew all of that. He foreknew everything. Like, we, to get a little bit of information, we got to pull out Google and, and figure out what it is. Like, God had all of this information, all of this, before the foundation of the earth. He's never, like, caught off guard. Well, I didn't see that coming. Like, the, He had all of this knowledge. It's the same word that was kind of used for the death of Jesus Christ. It's like, it wasn't some accident. Like, well, oh, Jesus screwed up and he got himself arrested. They're going to they're gonna nail him to this cross. It was pre-planned. Our guy Peter here, in Acts chapter 2, he says, Him, meaning Jesus, being delivered, now listen to what he says, By the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by your wicked hands and crucified him and put him to death. So what he's saying is like, God sent him, you and your choice crucified him, and they're both true. It's God's knowledge, it's God's foreknowledge, but here's the comfort part about that for us. Here's how that can anchor us into our faith, is because God knows everything. So he already knows the worst about you. He already knows all of the bad things. He already knows all of that, but you've been elected. He loves you anyway. He loves you in spite of those things. And us in our human relationships and the things we go through, um, we fear those kind of relationships. We fear people knowing everything about us. That's why we kind of always like try and put the best foot forward or, you know, if, if this person really knew everything about me, they would reject me or they wouldn't accept me. Um, like So when, when you go out on a date or something, you get your nicest clothes and you pick this nice restaurant where if this date don't go good, you'll probably never eat there again. But there's this fear of rejection. <laughs> There's this fear that if, if I'm not accepted, if they know everything about me, they're going to reject me. God doesn't work like that. He knew all of that stuff. He knew all of that stuff before the foundation of the world, and He chose you anyway. Um, it says in the Bible, says, He knows our frame, and He remembers that we were but dust. He doesn't expect a lot out of dust. He knows where we came from. He knows our hearts. The good thing about that is, He don't just know our worst, but He knows our best too. He knows all sides of us. He knows our best. People that we engage with, they only know what they see on the surface. So if you're trying really hard to do something and you're trying really hard to achieve something, but you come up short and you fail, people, us, all we're going to see is the failure. All we're going to see is that we didn't live up, we didn't achieve, we didn't reach the goal that we're going for, but God, He sees our heart. He sees our effort. He sees our intentions. He sees the things that we do. So we we try all of this, and we we still come up short. But God sees that out of a pure heart, we were putting our best foot forward. Or, on the opposite side, if we were just lackadaisically trying to get through it, He sees that too. Um, The Bible says, even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. So this would be another point, another point where these people are struggling, uh, knowing the persecution is coming. He's like, look, you've been previously chosen. The third truth, truth number three, is that we're growing constantly. So he's like, look, look, hold on. Um, you, you've been chosen. You're known completely. And now listen, even though it's rough, even though things ain't looking great, you're growing constantly. Um, verse 2 We'll pick it up and elect again we 'll see elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. watch here it is right here. in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ like that 's a mouthful it 's a mouthful to us for us to take in and, and really sink into, but to kind of unravel it, break it down into the simplest form, what he 's saying is, the one who chose you previously and knows you completely. Will grow you continually. So we look at that word sanctification right there. That's like a super churchy word, sanctification. You know? You don't want, you're not going to go to Los Dos Amigos after this and go catch a burrito and stand in line. Hey, buddy, have you been sanctified lately? But it's an important word. It's an important word that we want to understand, that we need to know the meaning of and understand what it is because it's a good word. It simply means to be marked as different, to be set apart or to be made holy. So God's in the process of working with us in our lives, working through the things that we struggle with, and growing us to make us more of a holy person. So holiness, it doesn't mean that we are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that perfection is the goal, and that's going to happen. And some of us are like, man, my sanctification is going great. I think I'm about three, three weeks away. Like three weeks from the sanctification, you know? I'm, I'm almost there. I promise you one thing. Like if you're striving for that, all you're going to do is drive everybody around you absolutely nuts. But it's a process. It's saying that, yeah, I, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. I'm growing and I'm moving forward. Um, there's a, a gentleman named Leighton Ford. He was uh, one of the like, associates um, involved with Billy Graham during his ministry. And he had a quote that says, God loves you the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And I thought that was like real, um, real powerful when I read that. Like, yeah, he does love me the way I am. He did love me even when I was a drug addict, even when I was strung out and messed up. He loved me that way. But the great news is like he loved me too much to leave me that way. He sent His indwelling power of His Holy Spirit to start a restoration from the inside out and change me as a person and, and bring me out of that life. So these are the three anchors that we can come up with from these first two verses. Is we've been chosen previously, we're known completely, and we're growing constantly. Um, like I said, with my construction background and building houses and stuff, um, I know a lot of things about homes. And uh, I did a little research to, to get a couple stats. And one of the things I discovered is like, according to the Uniform Building Code in the United States of America, homes didn't have to be bolted till their foundation until around like 1958. That's when that change came. That change in the building code was around 1958. So, what happens if you're in this area where there's a lot of these really old homes, these Victorian homes that predate that? And what happens when the storms come, the earthquakes hit, the mudslides go? They get washed right off the foundation. They get pushed right off of the foundation. Um, One thing that we, in our walks, one thing that we can be certain of is the storms are going to come, the wind is going to rage. The, the rain is going to pound down on us. Um, the job is going to be lost. Um, things are going to fall apart. Everything, things are going to hit us. But we have a foundation. And we have a life we're building it on. And as we continue to go through the books of First and Second Peter, what we can do as we look through the books of First and Second Peter, is we can find these biblical truths to anchor ourselves to the foundation. That's why it was written. That's why Peter put this letter out. The, the people are no different than us. They're facing persecution. We're, we're facing whatever it is we face, but we, we thank God that He provided, like the, the, his writing, His word, to provide truth for us, to anchor ourselves um, to that foundation. Um, we're gonna pray just a second here, and um, as we pray, I want you guys to to bow your head and close your eyes, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this service. But um, I, I'm just I'm wondering, like, if some of you have came today, and and maybe you haven't um, decided to build your life on that foundation. You haven't decided to build your life on that rock, or or maybe you have, but maybe. Maybe your life now versus when you made that decision, whether it was at some church service or some some youth event, like wherever it was when you made that decision, your life now kind of isn't reflecting that. Your life you're living now isn't really reflecting what it looks like to, to mirror Christ and have Him in your life. And maybe like the Scripture says, you need, you need some sprinkling of the blood of Christ. So if you fit either one of those descriptions, um, I want to ask as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed that... Um, You raise your hand. Raise your hand so I can see you, and and I will pray, and I'll pray for you, and um, yeah, let's pray. Uh, Father God, um, as we come here today, Lord, and and we know that we have the foundation available for us. We know that Christ is the rock to build our lives on. We know that um, you have chosen us before the world, that you have elected us, And that even though we're ugly, even though we're messed up, even though we make decisions, you love us anyway. And in loving us like that, you're growing us. You're moving us forward. You're helping us to become more and more like your son. God, if anybody out there uh, is raising their hand or thought about raising their hand or they're just nervous, Lord, I lift them up to you. Um, You know them better than I do. You know their hearts. You know everything about them, God. So I just pray for them. I pray for everybody in here that, that we can take today's message and we can see that there are truths out there that we can anchor uh, ourselves to the foundation with, God. And that it, it'll provide a hunger to, to go deeper and to want to find more biblical truths. And in turn, we're, we're communing with you. We're, we're diving into your word. We're studying your word. God, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being with us now and guiding us and correcting us and growing us as we move through this thing called life. We love you. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I want to invite Elizabeth Marshall up. She's going to come up and she's going to help.